Well, thanks for uh, coming this long weekend. And some of y'all might be traveling and, and here from faraway places. Uh, thank you for coming and being part of the church here. Um, if you're a guest, especially welcome. And we want to say thank you for uh, choosing to worship with us um, this morning. Uh, last night, <clears throat> last night in this room, I, uh, our youth ministry met. Um, they've been meeting. Um, actually, they meet every Saturday night, as they um, they always do. And um, you know, I think the Lord has been doing some really sweet and, and wonderful things in the lives of our young people the last few weeks, and just rebuilding and doing a, a sweet new work in in them. And so, if you're in high school, if you're in middle school, um, Saturday nights are for you. It's all about you and all about God and all about your peers and and gathering together and fellowshipping and seeking the face of God and and really being part of what God is doing as he's moving and, and doing this fresh work of the Spirit uh, in the lives of our young people. So I want to encourage you to be there and challenge you to be there and experience what God is doing amongst the young people here at, at Harvest. Um, I was at a, a meeting with our Cell Church shepherds, and, and Cell Churches is kind of um, one of the thrusts of, of our ministry. Our church harvest is made up of, of little Cell Churches, Cell Churches, which are many churches that meet uh, during the weeks for our, our post-high school crowd, for college and, and uh, college-age folks and older. And um, we're just sharing as the shepherds are gathering and talking about um, their struggles, but more about the joys of ministry and the good things, the, the new things and the fresh things and the beautiful things that God is doing in the lives of our adults. And it's just a really um, blessing and encouraging time for, for me. And these two things, this intergenerational makeup of our congregation and um, the ministry of, of fellowship and, and cell churches, um, are part and parcel of who we are at Harvest. It's part of our, our DNA. It's part of uh, what makes us who we are. It's what makes us click and what makes us go and to continue to um, be who we are. And so um, as you, know, you continue to get involved in the life of our church, would invite you to um, explore these things. If you're not yet in a cell church, to, to get plugged in and to get connected with one of these places where um, worship and fellowship and missions and evangelism and ministry and service and, and healing and all these things come uh, into play. And so I want to encourage you to make use of those things. Um, but, you know, undoubtedly in any ministry, in any, any life, any church, um, the harvest that is being reaped <clears throat> in any given time um, is always a product of uh, seeds that were sown at an earlier time. Um, we're, always, we're always reaping and we're always sowing different things. Uh, and all of us want a harvest in our lives. Wherever you are in life, whatever you do in life, all of us want some kind of a harvest. Even now, as we, the word of God is going to be preached over your hearts and over your lives. Uh, my desperate prayer throughout the week is that this word would be planted in your hearts. Jesus Christ himself would say in, many different, uh, in, in, in the different gospels, he would say the word of God is like a seed <clears throat> that's spread over the hearts of people and falls on different seed. And when the seed falls on fertile ground, it bears fruit 30, 60, even 100 fold. And my desire is that in the next 30 minutes, there would be a harvest in your lives that seeds are planted and that the resulting uh, planting of those seeds would lead to something so beautiful in your life that there would be fruit of the Spirit born in you. That's my longing for the harvest here uh, during this next half hour of our time. Some of you long for a harvest in your, um, in your workplace, a harvest of financial uh, fruit, harvest, crops, whatever it might be. You work in order that you might have some kind of a financial harvest at the end of uh, your life or at the end of your week or whenever your pay period is. Those of you who are in school, as you just began school two, three weeks ago, uh, many of you are wanting and working and, 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 and laboring so that you might have a harvest of good grades at the end of your report card, at the end of your semester, at the end of your quarter, whatever it might be. 
Some of you are longing and praying for a harvesting of, of souls, of people who don't know the Lord, and you effort, uh, your efforts and your endeavors go towards that. All of us long for some kind of a harvest in our lives, whatever that might be. And in order to understand how we can attain to that harvest, we have to know the law of the harvest. And Paul the Apostle talks about it in Galatians chapter 6. So if you would turn there together with me, I'm going to read Galatians chapter 6, written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to get familiar with him as we begin a study on the book of Philippians. But Galatians was written by the Apostle, and he, he shares with us a little bit about uh, the law of the harvest here. And it's going to come uh, from chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. This is God's word. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is God's word. Um, this is the second of a real brief series. We began last week talking about the harvest and, and kind of the, um, the, the calling card uh, verses of our congregation and, and talking about the Lord of the harvest. Today, I want to talk about the law of the harvest. And this is really a, a very simple principles that are being drawn out from this passage. Um, the challenge here with Galatians 6 and the, the, the principle of in the law of the harvest, the challenge is not in understanding it, but the challenge is in taking it and really living it because many people would rather be deceived into knowing the law, knowing the principle, to knowing the law of the harvest, and then not doing anything about it. Um, that's the challenge, rather than in understanding what the law of the harvest really is. So we're going to look at three things um, that Galatians shows us as it relates to the harvest. The first thing we're going to see is the deception. The second is the danger slash delight. And then the third thing, we're going to look at the, uh, the decision. But the first thing, the, the deception, verse 7, says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, here's a deception. It's kind of long, and for those of you who take notes, you might um, need to write really quickly. But the deception is that we want to reap what we don't sow. We don't want to reap what we do sow. So get that again. We want to reap what we don't sow. And we don't want to reap what we do sow. It's, very, it's actually pretty simple when you think about it. But this is a deception that a lot of times people uh, live under um, as we go through this life. But the, it, it's pretty simple. He says, God can't be mocked. Man reaps what he sows. You can imagine this scenario. Um, a person is, is very unhealthy. For some of us, we don't have to imagine too much. But an un unhealthy person, they're sitting there on their uh, sofa. And um, kind of the picture that I, I get here is, um, in Toy Story 2, there's the, the, the man who has a chicken, uh, the, the chicken man dressed up in a chicken suit, and um, he's lying down on his sofa, and he's got Cheetos, and he's got the Cheeto powder uh, all over his fingers, and his dog is licking his fingers, and he's watching TV, and he falls asleep late into the night. So you just imagine this guy here. Um, that's his lifestyle, just lying on the sofa, uh, eating Cheetos and guzzling Coke and eating pizza while he falls asleep late into the night watching Jerry Springer, right? This is his life, and so he's lives like this day in, day out. And then one day he wakes up and he comes to his senses and he's like, oh my goodness, what has become of me? See, what happens if you sow that, then you will reap fat. That's what happens. That's what happens. 
hey, you keep on living this kind of lifestyle, no exercise, the only exercise is, is pushing your finger on the remote control, that's what's going to happen. If you sow this kind of behavior into your life, then that's what you're going to reap. So he comes to his senses, and culture and advertisers know this. So what happens as you're watching TV late at night? They know that people who watch TV late at night, a lot of times they can be unhealthy. And so they, they start streaming these advertisements, telling you, hey, let me tell you what you could have. This is what you could be like. And so they show these commercials for these fatty diets, not, not fatty diets, but fads, like fads, fatty diets that you, you have. I lost 15 pounds in, in 10 weeks, and people are like, oh my gosh, I, I want some of that. Or they've got this commercial for um, shake weight, where you've got this weighted thing, and you, you shake it, and, and it's supposed to like, get you in shape in just a few minutes a day. Or, uh, I was r- uh, riding on the airplane last week and reading through the United magazine, and and there's this machine called the ROM. I'm not sure what it stands for, but it's a cross-training machine. And it says in just four minutes a day, in four minutes a day, you can get completely fit. You can get jacked. And it shows pictures of people who are like jacked. And for four minutes a day, you can do this. It's comparable to 45 minutes on the treadmill. And it's selling these. It's $14,600. I don't know why. It, I mean, well, there's a reason it costs that much. But they're selling these kinds of things. And the person lying on his couch is saying, you know what? I want that stuff. Why? Because they want to reap without sowing, you see? A lot of things that we do, we do in efforts to repeal the law of sowing and reaping. We want the result without the action. We want the consequence without the sacrifice. We want the reaping without the sowing. And so many of us live deceived, thinking, you know, I, I want all these things. That's why we take shortcuts all the time, isn't it? It's why we cheat on our homework, because we want to reap a harvest of good grace, but we don't want to sow the seed of hard work. It's why people do all kinds of things to get into, you know, they do that why so they can get into a great college. They want to get into a good college and have the reputation, have the education, and have the pedigree, and have the good job, but they don't want to do the work in order to get there. It's why we cut corners all the time, isn't it? It's why baseball players and athletes do steroids because they want the harvest of, of, of success, but they don't want to put in the time to do it properly. And so the deception is that we are oftentimes tempted into doing things to short-circuit this process, to take shortcuts because we want to reap without sowing. We want to reap the things that we do not sow. On the other hand, On the other hand, in a very similar vein, we also don't want to reap the things that we do sow. We sow these destructive things into our lives, and then the deception is, I'm not going to reap. It'll be be different with me. You see these TV shows all the time, right, when animals attack or whatnot. uh, There's this YouTube clip. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about uh, these kind of teenage boys who live in Pakistan, and they're chilling on their porch, and they've got this pet lion. Have you seen this before? And they're just sitting there petting the lion, and these, their friends come, and they're petting the lion, and they're like, oh, you know, it's just a lion, you know, the king of the jungle, but yeah, it's our pet, right? And then all of a sudden, the lion gets angry, and then he just, just grabs a hold of this, this guy's arm, and so you're watching this video, the guy's petting it, all of a sudden, his arm is like this, and then he's just like in complete shock. He's like, his eyes are just locked, and he's getting sw- swung like this, and and, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it, it's one thing if you've got like a little, you, you got this videotape of, uh, you're videotaping yourself on the porch with a puppy dog, or even a big dog is, is okay, be a, a little kitty cat. But this is a lion here, right? How foolish do you need to be in order to caress a lion like this? 
And then to think that he's not going to eat you. This is what a lion does. Why do animals attack? Because that's in their nature to attack people. But sometimes we want to, we want to uh, uh, not reap the things that we're sowing. I was watching this clip. It, it comes from a show called Untamed and Uncut on the Animal Planet. Really crazy. And so um, this kind of all this buildup, and, and it's, it's in Southeast Asia. I don't know if it's in Thailand or, or wherever it is, but um, it's kind of like this Gatorland type, type place. And there's this crocodile. It's called the Siamese crocodile, um, probably because it comes from Siam, not because it's got two heads or anything, but um, just a, a, a crocodile. And it's one of these things where the guy puts his arm into it, and then he pulls his arm out, and the crocodile smashes his mouth down, right? It's, it's, you know, we see it all the time. But they're telling and, and building up this story, um, Siamese crocodile is many times more fierce than the average alligator. This particular Siamese crocodile has not been trained in this high-level high level stunt. They've only done lower-level stunts, like eating fish or whatever it is that they eat. And so this 21-year-old trainer is playing around with it. He's got a stick, and he's putting it in his mouth, and he taps the crocodile's nose, and he bites down on the stick, and he's playing up the crowd. He's like, oh, you know, this is really cool. You know what's going to happen, right? And so this, they're like building up to this grand finale where he's like showing his arm and everything, and then he sticks his arm in the person's mouth, right? And then this is Animal Planet, untamed, uncut. And the narrator, the commentator is telling the story and interviewing different people. And then he gets to this point, and there's all this dramatic buildup. And he's like so dramatic, he's like, what happens next will shock everyone. And I'm thinking in my mind, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. If this Siamese crocodile is that much more fierce than an average alligator, and he has not been trained in this, in this stunt, then why should it be a surprise that he's going to chop this guy's arm off? So he bites down on this arm, and then he does a crocodile roll. You know what that is? It's not a, it's not a type of sushi, but he starts flipping himself over and over and over. And so this guy is flipping over and over and over with the crocodile. It's not really that funny, but... Um, but Pastor Howard's sitting here laughing. Right? So he starts flipping himself over and over and over. And the, the, the commentator is like, this is what the Siamese crocodile does in the wild to dislodge the limbs of its prey. And so he's flipping this guy over and over and over and over. And the deception is that we can put ourselves in that kind of a position and not face the consequences of it. See, a lot of times we live this way, don't we? We say, yeah, I'm going to mess around, and, but I, I won't get pregnant, right? Or I'm going to play the field, and it's not going to affect my future relationships. Or I'm going to sow destructive habits into my life, and it's not going to come back to bite me. We live like this a lot of times, don't we? I'm going to talk trash about all these other people, and I'm going to be cool with everybody down the line. No one's going to hate me when all is said and done. The deception here is that we want to reap what we don't sow, and we don't want to reap that which we do sow. And so he says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. Then he goes on to the second thing, the danger slash delight in verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's two parts to it here. It can be either dangerous or it can be delight, depending on what you're sowing into. But the point here is that we will reap what we sow, but we always reap more than we sow. So first things first, we reap what we sow. Um, everyone, in everything in life, there's, if, we, if we plant something, we're going to harvest something. 
If you, if you put money into a good investment, then you're going to reap a, a return. If you put money into a bad investment, you're not going to get a good return out of it. If you put practice into anything that you do, you're going to become better at it as long as you practice correctly. In the same way, you plant an apple tree, you're going to, an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You um, read the story online. Maybe, uh, maybe you've read the story about the guy in Vermont. Um, he tells a, a story about how I planted a strawberry tree but to my amazement, what came out of the ground was a peach tree. And I was so amazed, I've never seen anything like it before. Even uh, more crazy, the story of this lady in Nebraska. Right? I don't know what it is about being in Nebraska. But the, the story of this person in Nebraska. And uh, she went into labor and she delivered a baby. And when the baby came out, instead of being a human baby, she gave birth to a monkey. Have you, anyone read this story? Of course not, because it's not true. This, this doesn't happen in life. Right? You plant one kind of thing, and then you get another kind of thing. You plant a human uh, you know, thing into making a human, and then a monkey, because it doesn't work that way. Because we always reap what we sow. The question isn't, what is it that we're planting? What is it that we're sowing into? He gives two options here. One person will... will uh, uh, so to please his sinful nature, from that ne- nature will reap destruction. The one who pl- sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap uh, eternal life. But we always reap that which we sow. It's just a, this is the law of the harvest. It doesn't happen any other way. You plant an apple tree, you're not going to get an orange tree. This is the way it is. I, I want to read a, a, a quote. This is a really cool quote by um, a guy named John Stott, great British-English theologian. He talks about what it means to to sow into uh, the sinful nature. This is what he says. Uh, To sow to the flesh, and he uses some British words. I don't, I mean, they're English words, but I don't understand what they mean, these first two. Is to pander to it, to coss it. Here's where it starts to make sense. To cuddle and stroke it instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. He says it begins with something so small, begins with just a seed. See, not only do we reap what we sow, but we reap a whole lot more than we sow. And so he, he, he talks about it's just this little seed, and even though we should crucify it, we cuddle it and stroke it. This is what this Pakistani boys were doing. They're cuddling and stroking this lion that they should crucify or they should do not, have nothing to do with, and this lion comes back and it gets them. Because we reap what we sow, they had no idea that the lion was going to chop this guy's arm and swing him around like that the same uh, way that the guy, the the crocodile trainer, had no idea that the crocodile was going to do that. He should have known if they knew anything about what they were getting themselves into. But when we sow to please the flesh, this is what we're doing, is we're planting seeds all over the place. 
And we're always doing this. We're always planting seeds, whether for the flesh or for the spirit, always planting seeds, and there will always be a harvest that is reaped. So we're constantly doing this, and the question is, to what are we sowing and planting our seeds? Is it to please the flesh in that way, because we will always reap that which we sow, or is it to please the spirit? The alternative would be to please the spirit, to do the things that we know we ought to do are right according to the word of God, to forgive the people who we harbor a grudge against, uh, to be in the word and to invest in prayer, to share the love of Christ with people both inside and outside of the church, to do things that no, when no one else is looking, to develop a, a habit and a character of self-control and of, of loving Christ. The question is, which are we sowing into? What kind of seeds are we planting into our lives? And what is the field into which we're sowing? The uh, often told story of the little boy who had just become a Christian and was struggling to live the kind of life that the Lord God wanted him to live. And so he was fighting and he said, you know what, it's like this, 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 this good desire in me and this bad desire in me are constantly fighting with each other. And so he, he went to his grandfather. His grandfather had been walking with the Lord for many years and he told his grandfather the struggle. He said, I thought when I became a Christian, this would all change. I thought when Jesus came into my life, I wouldn't struggle with the same struggles that I would struggle with. I wouldn't uh, steal from my friends anymore. I wouldn't be tempted to want to cheat on my test anymore. I wouldn't be tempted to do all these things, but I find that nothing could be further from the truth. And like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And this boy was conflicted inside of himself. And he's just talking with his grandfather. His grandfather told him about these two dogs that he has in his backyard. He said, I've got these two dogs. The exact same kind of dog. One is black and one is white, and they're always fighting with each other. And the little boy prodded the grandfather, and he said, well, Grandpa, which dog wins the fight? And grandfather said, whichever dog I feed the most ends up winning. And so the little boy began to realize there's two natures inside of him, the sinful nature and the spiritual nature, and they're constantly fighting with each other. Which one is going to win out at the end of the day? It's whichever one we feed the most. Which desire are we feeding in our hearts, in our lives? Into which field are we planting seeds? You see, it's not just this innocuous little thing that we're doing here, this innocent little seed of badness that we're sowing, or just this, it's just a, it's just a little nice thing that I'm doing. He's saying we reap not only what we sow, but we reap a whole lot more than what we sow. This is... This is both a danger and a delight. It's a danger when we begin to see, we begin to see someone like, the, like King David. It's just one thought in his mind when he saw this woman Bathsheba taking a bath. He said, it's just one seed that's being planted. But little did he know that after this entire encounter, the last five commandments and the 10 commandments will be broken. You shall not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not lie or, or, or bear false witness. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. All five of these things knocked out in just one moment that spurred all this on because we don't reap merely what we sow. We reap a whole lot more than that which we sow. It's not just a little thing that I'm doing here, a little thing there, but these things build up into becoming a great big harvest. Any farmer who goes out and sows his seed knows that he's not just going to get one seed back in return. Anyone knows this. You plant one seed, you're not just going to get one seed that pops back out after a week. Boing, there it is. Oh, look, there's my fruit. I got, I got my return back. No, you, it, it gives birth to something so much more. It gives birth to something so much more. It would not be worth the farmer's effort if he merely reaped 
that which he sowed. And so whether this is a danger or a delight to you or me, it depends on what kind of seed we're sowing and which dog we're feeding and what kind of soil we're planting these seeds into. The last thing that we see then is the decision. Verses 9 and 10. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us good, do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The decision that Paul in Galatians 6, 9 and 10 is calling us to make is to sow in light of the harvest, to sow in light of the reaping. You ask any farmer back in those days, yeah, if you uh, read anything about biblical farming, I'm pretty sure it's similar to farming today. But the picture that the Bible paints of sowing and reaping of a farming lifestyle is one is very difficult. Psalm 126, that the, the farmer is going out and as he sows his seed, he does it with tears. Because he has no idea if these seeds are going to actually bear fruit in the harvest time. He knows that it ought to, but there could be crop failure. There could be a drought that season. And so he's sowing in tears because he's giving everything that he has. It's difficult work. It's hard work. He doesn't know what's going to happen at the end of all of this time. And so the picture of a farmer is that they're laboring in tears, and it's the hardest duty that he could ever do. And so if you ask a farmer as he's throwing his seed, shedding tears, you ask him, hey, uh, you having fun? He'd say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm not having fun. But the only reason I do this is because my eyes are set on the harvest that's to come. See, people in those days, wise people plant with an eye towards the harvest. They don't plant because the actual act of planting is fun. But you see, the, the way that our culture and the way that our generation has been set up and has been lied to is to think that it's the actual sowing that's making all of the difference. This is where we need to focus. So many people sow because the sowing is fun. And so we sow into destructive patterns and lifestyles. We sow into alcoholism, into addictions, into pornography, into uh, Indulging and, and, and indulging and delving into these, these trashy romance novels that play on our emotions. And we invest into these things because we think that the act of sowing is all that matters. Because we think that the sowing is the fun part of it. But wise people know that we only sow in order that we might reap a harvest. And wise people sow always in light of the harvest that is to come. And so again, the decision that Paul calls us to make is to think about what kind of field you're sowing into, whether your sinful nature or your spiritual nature, because you will always reap a harvest. And sometimes God's timing is a little bit different. He's not like Jack and the Beanstalk where mommy throws out the, the seeds today and then tomorrow, bam, there comes this giant beanstalk. But God's time is a whole lot different. A lot of times the sowing comes much, uh, in a much different time than the reaping. And you sow one uh, time and the reaping comes much, much later. Sometimes that's the way that it works. But the promise of God is that every time you sow, there will be a harvest. That harvest will be greater than that which you sowed. 
If you plant seeds into your sinful nature, destruction is a result. You plant seeds to your spiritual nature, then eternal life is a result. But then he says, let's not become weary in doing good because at the proper time, God sees what you're doing. He sees the, the seeds that are being sowed. He sees the tears that accompany your sowing. And he says, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you don't give up. And the question is, if we know in our heart of hearts that God promises to honor the seeds that we're sowing, is it not worth it for us to sow those seeds? Not only into our spirit, but into other people's lives. Is it not worth it if the one who promised, we know him and he's proven himself to be faithful, is it not worth it to do that? To sow seeds in light of the promised harvest. There's a, a, a great missionary, one of the pioneer missionaries to Africa, was a man named Robert, Robert Moffat. He was a Scottish missionary. He'd been laboring on the mission field of Africa for a great many years without much fruit, just tons and tons of African heathen who needed to know the Lord. And so on one uh, trip back home to visit a church in Scotland, he went and his express mission was to call people to the mission field. To say very much what Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As he got into the church that day, he was dismayed to see only eight people there, and all of them were women. All of them were women. He was bummed out because the message, the passage he was preaching from was Proverbs chapter 8, verse 4, which says, unto you, O men, I call. His purpose for going to Scotland was to call men out of that church to go to the mission field because he knew that it was too arduous and too rigorous and too difficult in these savage, untamed jungles for a woman to go. And so he, he was discouraged as he was preaching this message because he knew that nothing was going to be born from these women. He couldn't challenge, the passage was about, he couldn't challenge these women. But what he didn't, what he failed to recognize was in the balcony, pumping the organ for the organ player was a little boy, a boy named David Livingston. And though he didn't know it at the time, Robert Moffat preached that message that night, and this little boy, something captured his heart and gripped his heart and grabbed a hold of it and just began shaking him and convicting him. And he said, I need to give my life to the people of Africa. This little boy. The same David Livingston who, when he was a, a young child, when the offering plate was being passed at church, he didn't have money. So he put it on the ground and he stepped in and he said, God, I don't have anything, but I give myself to you. He said, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'll go. Only go with me. Sever any tie except the tie that binds me to yourself, and I'll go, I'll go, if only your promise is true that you'll be with me to the very end of the age. He was a brilliant, he was labeled a genius. At the age of 17, he earned enough money to go to medical school, yet he turned that down to go to the place that his heart so beated for ever since the night he heard Robert Moffat speak of his passion for the people of Africa. And so David Livingston traded all of his dreams and all of his hopes and all the hopes and dreams of his family, and he went to Africa. He went with his wife. As they went out there, after just five years, his wife got deathly sick and had to go back home to Scotland. And there she was uh, recovering. It took her over five years to recover. And during those times that she was away, he saw his sons die. He saw fellow missionary friends die. He saw supporters back out on the ministry because they saw no fruit. They saw people instead, people dying. And they began to pull out. His wife, after five years, rejoined him, and shortly thereafter, she too died of an illness. As he walked through the jungles of Africa, 
He, was, he too was bitten by a lion and had his right arm uh, almost ripped off and his, his shoulder was severely damaged. He walked with a chronic limp. He had dysentery and was stricken with malaria many times over. As he was going through the jungle, his, uh, one of his eyes was poked out by, by a branch that hit him in the eye. Over his lifetime, he walked 29,000 miles, but he said, cannot the gospel take me where the slave trader, I'm sorry, where the slave trade takes the slave trader? And he went to Africa. 29,000 miles. Joseph Stoll in his biography tells him, he uh, says he walked those 29,000 miles. And when he died, he died by his bedside praying for the people of Africa, dying in his sleep, dying, I'm sorry, dying in prayer. And when he died, they buried his body in Scotland, but they took out his heart and they buried it in Africa because that's where his heart longed to be. And you wonder if Robert Moffat, this missionary, if he knew back then when he was preaching to just eight people what he knew, what he would see on the other side of eternity, I don't think there would be a doubt in his mind that it was ever, ever worth it for him to sow those seeds even though there's just a handful of people and it doesn't make any sense for me to do this. Because God always sees the seeds that we sow. And the promise of God is that we always reap that which we sow, we reap even more. We reap even more than we could ever sow. And so he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul would know this and he would have seen it lived out and modeled. Maybe not in his own ways, but through his friends who told him of a man named Jesus Christ. A man who was the epitome of the law of reaping and sowing. In fact, at the end, he just pour into people, never once investing into the sinful life, never once investing in it, but constantly investing in doing good, even though people rejected him, even though people abandoned him. At the, at the very last day of his life, it seemed like he repealed the law of sowing and reaping. He sowed and sowed and sowed seeds of goodness, but at the end of his life, he hung on a cross, reaping in that which he did not deserve, reaping in that which he did not sow reaping in the punishment for sins that you and I had committed, that he reaped what we sowed. And at the end of it, he says here, here's why. So that you and I, many years later, can reap in the blessings of that which he sowed. That as he hung on the cross and died for your sins and for mine, it looked like he was one who would not fulfill this law of sowing and reaping. And yet on the third day, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and as he stands in heaven now, and, and many sons, one by one, many daughters, one by one, streaming into heaven, the doors of heaven being nailed wide open by the arms of Christ, and people coming into to heaven through the proclamation of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself now seeing an abundant harvest because he's reaping so much more than he ever sowed. And he says, it is Christ's love that compels you and me to go. It's his love that compels us to go forth in tears, sowing seeds of life and joy and goodness, not only into our own lives, but into the lives of other people. And he calls us to go so that we might one day reap in a harvest for which we never began to imagine. The seeds of which we thought were just too small. And yet the harvest is abundant and it awaits those because the one who promised is eternally faithful. Let's pray together. We uh, respond to the word of God. I want to invite us to really uh, reflect and meditate. 
What are we sowing seeds into in our lives? Are we sowing to please the Spirit or are we sowing to, to please the flesh? The promise of God is that we will reap what we sow. It comes in God's time, it comes in His timing, but it's always much bigger than the thing that we actually planted. The Lord God tonight, today is calling us to think about the kind of seeds that we're planting and to make a decision to begin to sow in light of the harvest, to sow in light of the reaping. Maybe some of us have almost given up in investing in the lives of other people because we feel so discouraged. We feel like there's no, no, there's no fruit. There's nothing I can see. God says, it's coming. It's coming. Can you believe it? Can you see? It's coming. And I think if we know that the harvest is coming at the 400th hour, then we'd be foolish to stop at the 398th hour because we know that the one who promised is faithful. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's take a couple minutes to pray as we reflect on God's word. Ask the Lord that he would touch us and that he would minister to us. Take the word of God and just begin to shake it in our hearts and and help us to respond with his word. Let's come before the Lord and let's pray prayers of response as uh, as we respond to the word of the Lord this morning. As we uh, continue to pray, let's take a moment as we examine our hearts, we prepare to come to the Lord's table, the communion feast, where we're reminded of the body and the blood of Christ shed for you and for me. Let's ask the Lord that he would make us ready, that he would prepare our hearts so that we might approach the table in a worthy manner. As the word of God in 1 Corinthians says, those who come to the table in an unworthy manner will heap harm upon themselves. So let's pray and ask the Lord as we prepare to come seriously to the table of grace and mercy unending. Ask God that he would prepare us and that he would wash us, cleanse us, make us right, that we would encounter and meet with the living God in holy communion. Let's take another minute to pray in preparing ourselves in this way.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are high above and that even from as high as you are, you see the little seeds that we sow, seeds of ministry, seeds of sacrifice, seeds of giving, seeds of love that are invested into the lives of people. We thank you that there is a harvest that's coming. We thank you, God, that you cannot be mocked, that we will reap what we sow, and I pray that it would convict us and challenge us to think about the choices that we make, that we would make a decision today to sow not in light of the sowing, but to sow in light of the reaping, to know that everything that we do has consequences for tomorrow. Everything we do has consequences for other people. We pray that you would help us to sow wisely, to sow rightly, to sow that we might reap a beautiful Abundant harvest, far greater than anything that we could have imagined. Thank you so much. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.